Ranked choice voting works. It costs less than holding runoff elections. And studies show it's popular with voters and reduces negative attacks. That's why cities and states are looking to ranked choice voting to improve their elections. Would ranked choice voting help in your community? Find out more at fairvote.org. Waymo TV is filmed for a live studio audience being held against their will. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Waymo TV. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today. I would love it if you would take a moment just to introduce yourself and tell us what you're working on. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So my name is Erin McDonald. I have a PhD in astrophysics and I kind of joke that I'm a one woman career panel for everything you can do with an astrophysics degree. Um, right now I am living a lot of nerds dreams as the science advisor for the entire Star Trek franchise. Now, before we get to that, I know there's a, there's a film that you're working on. Um, yeah. that, I want, that I would love to talk to you about as well. Could you tell us, uh, for the people listening, about what what, it, what that is? Yeah, thank you for asking. Absolutely. I um, So part of sort of being in the entertainment industry, one of the things that I've been interested in working in is producing. Um, you know, I used to be an engineering manager, and I like sort of leading big picture projects. And so once I kind of saw what that role of a producer is, um, which I'd been aware of in the past, but it kind of occurred to me that ah, this might be something I'm actually quite good at. And my uh, best friend, Mary Chifo, who played Chancellor Laurel in Star Trek Discovery, um, her and I were talking one day and we were both like, you know, like we're at a point, we're in LA, we are talented, <laughs> we're capable, like let's just do this. Let's let's create our own space, you know, let's not wait for people to come and call us. And so her girlfriend had written this script and we decided to turn it into a short film. And we are now in our final, final days of post-production. So we're going to be screening it shortly here in L.A., um, friends and family screening. And it's being sent off to festivals as we speak. That's fantastic. Would, would you be so kind to send me a link when you have a trailer? Um, yeah. Yeah, I would because I'll put it in the show notes, and this way people can go and they can check it out. Oh, thank you. Great. Yeah, it's for if people want to find it. I mean, it's called Every Morning. Um, and we have, if you look up Space Time Films on Instagram and Space Time Productions on Twitter, uh, that's kind of where we have some behind the scenes content. And yeah, I appreciate that. I'm very excited to see where it goes. We're very proud of it. Yeah, I mean, we're all about supporting independent creators on the show. I mean, that's that's why it exists. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Space Time in there, and I, I had to ask you about this. Uh, I understand that at one point you were using Voltron to teach yeah. about space. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because that, that's fascinating to me. I would love to hear about like the intersection of these two things. <laughs> yeah, no worries. So I was actually using um, the newer uh, Netflix show, the Voltron show that kind of came out a couple years ago. Um, I was watching it. I mean, I'm a big fan of animation and sci-fi, and I love even shows that might be the demographically targeted for kids, but I still really get a kick out of them. And I was shocked at how accurate the astrophysics in Voltron was. I mean, they used the phrase that they were picking up gravitational radiation from a neutron star in the like Lagrange point of a binary black hole system. <laughs> and I'm like, right. What? And also, it's the only sci-fi, I mean, sort of, I'm sure there's more out. I know in novel world, there are more examples, but a rare thing to see is when 
movies or TV shows address time dilation. When you're traveling so fast through space, time gets compressed and you experience time differently than other people. And they had a whole episode that was centered on them incorrectly calculating their time dilation and showing up one day late for an event. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. Did you... Did you look into who who that was? Like, did you did you eventually find out like where wh- how they got it all right? I actually haven't. That is like that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was a while ago that I put that talk together before I was working really full time in the industry. And so it'd be fun to circle back actually and try to figure out who that was. I, I feel like um, anytime you get the science right uh, it is fantastic because it, it doesn't it doesn't happen too often. Um, we just had another astrophysicist on the show. We were talking about the weather on Jupiter and, uh, and his project. And so I'm curious about where, what attracted you to the field? Like, what was the thing that made you want to get in and study this? Um, so wanting to become an astrophysicist really had its origins in film and TV. You know, for me, it was, I loved watching the X-Files growing up, and I just wanted to be Dana Scully. And she, even though she was a medical doctor at the FBI for her profession, her undergraduate degree was actually in astrophysics, studying um, Einstein's right. twin paradox. <laughs> so uh, that kind of put that bug in my mind. But then also in the 90s, you know, um, Contact came out. So Dr. Ellie Arroway was a big in fact, I think people just celebrated its 25th anniversary, which is crazy. Yes. Um, <laughs> and really, the combination of those two is what made me interested in studying space. And I wasn't necessarily thinking long term, long term, genuinely, like, what I've always wanted to be a part of was the film industry that I would watch behind the scenes. I watched the behind the scenes of Jurassic Park to death more than the film itself in the little wow. two VHS set. You know, I watched that so much. And the idea of filmmaking has just always fascinated me. But when it came to deciding what I wanted to study for college, university, I was still really drawn to just study space. The idea that I could go to university for four years and just study space sounded awesome. Right. I mean, I never lost that 10-year-old part of me that's just obsessed with space. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I would say it wasn't really until I was good chunk of the way through my PhD, um, again, in astrophysics, that I started thinking, maybe there's something else. Like, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to do this long term. I never really thought about it. So uh, it's taken me some time, but I feel like I finally found my place in the entertainment world. Tired of being tracked online? DuckDuckGo can help. Tracking is a comprehensive program. Trackers lurk nearly everywhere online from websites, emails, and even apps in your phone. That means you need a multi-pronged solution. DuckDuckGo's all-in-one privacy app can be used as an everyday browser with private search, tracking, blocking, encryption, and now email protection built in. It's the free, easy button for online privacy. Download the app today. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Hi, I'm Mike Reese. I've been writing for The Simpsons for 30 years. But in my spare time, I travel. I've been to Iran, Iraq, the North Pole, the South Pole, Chernobyl. (laughs) These are my vacations, folks. I've even been to North Korea. That's the scary Korea. It's all in my new travel podcast on the Believe Network called What Am I Doing Here? 
It's fast, it's funny, and it's factual enough. You'll hear how I was robbed in Rio, kidnapped in Honduras, dangled from a cliff in Pakistan, and chased by a lady with a meat cleaver again in Honduras. I had a lot of problems in Honduras. Each week I visit all the world's hot spots and hell holes so you don't have to. You're welcome. Download and subscribe to What Am I Doing Here? wherever you get your podcasts. Um, there's so many different things I want to ask you, but I, I saw that you had mentioned Captain Janeway in your dissertation. And I remember when I was working on a dissertation with, uh, with my advisor and I wanted to frame it around Batman and the amount of resistance I got. So I'm just, I'm fascinated to learn about how you were able to slide in Captain Janeway and make that all come together. Oh, oh yeah. So, so just to clarify, I didn't do research into that incorporated Captain Janeway as much as I would love <laughs> yes. to. Um, but my PhD was in general relativity. And so that is the shape of space time. And um, specifically I was studying gravitational waves from neutron stars and when I was procrastinating, because doing a PhD is its own journey, <laughs> I would watch Star Trek Voyager. And especially, I think, because I didn't go into doing my PhD wanting to become a professor with this sort of like, it's a stepping stone to a larger goal. I just wanted to do a PhD. Um, there were lots of times where I wanted to quit. And I would watch Star Trek Voyager, and I would be motivated to continue going. So uh, so even though I wasn't able to work Captain Janeway herself into my thesis, <laughs> I did uh, the dedication page on my thesis says to Captain Catherine Janeway. Nice. Yep, she'll never know how much inspiration she gave me right when I wanted to give up. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty special. <laughs> it's very cool. It's, that kicks so much ass. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Before we, before we get to some of the other stuff, like Star Trek, I, I'm, I'm curious about, uh, this is now the second time that someone has mentioned gravitational waves from neutron stars. And I just want to point out that this is a show for creatives, and it's now come up twice, which I think is fantastic. Uh, well, tell me, like, what is something that, that still fascinates you about the field? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think it's really what's fascinating is what's next. You know, the idea of... Because when I was doing my PhD and even my postdoc research was before we had detected gravitational waves. So they were still theoretical at that point. And a big sort of beacon on the horizon was to be able to do something called multi-messenger astronomy, which means that you can combine the analogy is that you're able to both see and hear space that you know, we've been looking at space through electromagnetic radiation for so long and, you know, through different frequencies, whether it was infrared or radio or microwave or visual or any of those, but that's all still types of electromagnetic radiation. Whereas with gravitational waves, that's a totally different version of observing our universe. And so when you're able to combine those things, what else can we learn? And for example, one of the detections that they had made uh, early on in, um, I believe it was around 2016 or 2017, they did detect a coincident um, gravitational wave signal with a gamma ray burst, so a big flash of gamma ray radiation, and that allowed them to confirm that short duration gamma ray bursts come from a neutron star colliding with another compact object. And that had always been theorized, but 
being able to combine the gravitational wave signal with the gamma ray burst confirmed that theory. And so it's really just exciting to see how much more is out there, uh, especially, I think, black holes, you know, because traditionally the only way that we've detected them has been from hot material that's falling into it where the friction is really hot and it's glowing in particularly x-rays. But um, with gravitational waves, we don't need to see any light around a black hole. And so we're able to detect black holes as they merge and interact with other objects without needing to actually see them. And that can start filling in some gaps that we have in our knowledge of black holes and how many there are out there. Tell me, what, given what we've just talked about, what would you say to your younger self that we're having this conversation today? Yeah. Like, we're, we're talking, like what, what would you say to her? Oh, you know, I think the best advice I could give to a young version of me is just to not take your eyes off of your dreams. You know, that for me, I did still end up working in the entertainment industry, even though I took a much less traditional route. I still now get to work on sets and I get to write stories and I get to see my name and credits on screens. And, you know, like now I'm going to get to see my name as a producer and especially as a fan of Kathleen Kennedy watching all those Jurassic Park making of videos, being able to now kind of, you know, see myself not as her peer, because that's just Kathleen Kennedy, but to be able to actually, like, say that, no, like, I know what that job is, and hey, I've now done that job. I just, a lot of what I've been able to do is just kind of carve out my own space because I have a vision for where I want to go, and so telling my younger self to just not take your eye off of that dream, I think, is the most important. Absolutely. Uh, Let me ask you, like, what is it, could you explain how, for people listening, as a science advisor, how the process might work? Like, is it that someone has a problem and that they come to you, or just or do you come to them and you're like, you know, it would be awesome? <laughs> yeah, I think for the most part, when I'm brought on as a science advisor, it can be at any stage in the creative process. For some people, it's when they're like days away from production and they just want eyes on a script. And just make sure that the dialogue doesn't say anything wrong. Sometimes it can be all the way back in story development where they're trying to come up with a space disaster or they're trying to create a scenario um, in space that can achieve X and Y emotional stress, you know, <laughs> like requires so many people to help or, you know, is limited to low Earth orbit or in space. And, and so being able to kind of workshop those story areas and figure out the best way to get those. And then I also do a lot of work in post production that kind of comes a little bit later after I've been working with a show for a while. Um, and they get used to my process and know that I'm not gonna <laughs> be negative on what they're trying to do on their artistic process. I always joke like my philosophy for science advising is to yes and the process. You want to come to me with like nice. the crazy bonkers multiverse time travel story. Awesome. Like we'll make that work. And uh, so now I do a lot of work with uh, post-production as well, just helping write all the on-screen copy. So when they do planetary scans, getting all that data for them. And um, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty extensive role. I'm very grateful yeah. for. It's, it's amazing. Like it's, it's cool because it's teaching like younger generations are seeing this, right. And it's, it's helping yeah. to inform and, and pull them in, which I love. Um, I have, so I have two questions for you as okay. a science advisor. Um, the first is about 
an episode of Voyager, uh, which has become a running joke on this show. Uh, anytime, anytime I encounter someone that's watched Voyager, I, I have to ask them whether or not uh, they think that Captain Janeway murdered two Vex. Yeah. Uh, so I would just, I would love to hear like how you would approach that as the science advisor. Delights me so much. Um, I. <laughs> So I do like to joke that I can have very rational reasoned discussions with people about Tuvix until you see me at a bar at a Comic-Con and then ask me this question (laughs) and like, I will ride and die defending Janeway. (laughs) Right. So, you know, I mean, that being said, I do think she made the best decision for the crew. Did that murder one of the characters? Yes, but it also saved two of the characters. So, you know, it's a very good... I just... I freaking love that there are these things that are so philosophical in Star Trek that can be just debated lovingly, but, like, everyone has an opinion. (laughs) Yes! Yes, and what I what I love is that every vo- you won't find a Voyager fan that th- has not taken a side. Like yeah. <laughs> they're clearly on one or the other. This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ Save the World, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. This is a podcast for people just like you who ask, has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to rosieandbjsavetheworld.com to get more confused. Do you want to grow your audience without sacrificing your privacy? Then the Stupid Sexy Privacy miniseries is just for you. It's a short, special presentation that will run every Thursday morning right here on Weiwo.tv for the next 23 weeks. In each short episode, we'll teach you how to preserve as much of your privacy as possible while still participating in the creator economy. You'll also hear from top privacy and disinformation experts who will teach you how to protect yourself from fascists and weirdos. And who doesn't want that? So make sure you're subscribed to Weiwo.tv where all podcasts can be found and we'll see you every Thursday morning for a special presentation of Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weiwo.tv miniseries. Um, do you... Do you often read like the fan theories and workarounds? Like, I, I know there's a whole bunch of workarounds that, like, how they could have saved two. Like, but does that ever come into your mind as you're as you're putting these things together? Yeah, I mean, so one of the just yeah, pulling on that thread, I think uh, one of the things that I'm kind of responsible for is a lot of the technical canon that has existed in Star Trek. So things like how the transporter works, right? Um, we, we joke, it works very well. Thank you. <laughs> like, um, and trying to establish some rules so that there's consistency, right? And I think that was a big thing of bringing me on was the fact that we had, you know, five shows essentially at one time that were all going and trying to make sure that the way they talk about the transporter or the way they talk about replicators or any other sort of technical ex- explanation is consistent across all of those shows. So that also requires me to go back into this canon and figure out kind of how they work. And so Tuvix is one of those episodes that I have gone to a lot to try to piece together how they technically talk about the transporter and this idea of like, is it actually, is it mapping 
where every particle in your body is and then just saving that as information? Or is it actually storing your body's particles, you know, and moving those particles? Um, what is the buffer, you know, zone or whatever when they're in the transporter buffer? What does that actually mean? And Star Trek contradicts itself. You know, another one I go back to a lot is uh, Enterprise episode where Hoshi, you know, where they first talk about the transporter and Hoshi's like, there's no freaking way I'm stepping foot in that death machine. <laughs> and then... Um, the episode where we get two Rikers, you know, because that, that lends that's right. credit to the idea that maybe it's just information that's being stored. And it just like, f- this is disgusting, but that it just like, when you go into the transporter, it breaks down all your particles. You just get fed back into the replicator system. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is that's how That's how I always thought of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it, it's it's terrible, but that's always how I the, how I understood it was it's mm-hmm. it's a new you every time. It's just yeah. it's a it's a zero. It's but not quite a Xerox, um, but a new. So the you that goes into the transporter ceases to exist. Yeah, once and you've I been think transported. Right. Bringing up the Xerox example is really good because I think that. Um, you know, the episode uh, where Scott, they dis- it's the TNG episode, but where they discover Scotty, who's crashed into the Dyson sphere, and he's held himself in the transporter buffer um, for so long. You know, there is that idea that it is imperfect and that you can't constantly be kind of holding people in that buffer pattern. And then, and then we saw that um, in Strange New Worlds and... Um, yes. Yeah, so so all these stories kind of come back to each other. I would I would freaking love if there was like a revisit of two Vicks, though. That would be so great. <laughs> yes, I I feel I feel the time has come. Right? <laughs> um, let me let me ask you um, real quick before we run out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fascinated by the the use of time travel in the season finale for Strange New Worlds um, because I feel like there's a part of me that's thinking about Avengers and and how they explain time travel with. Well, you can't, like, it just creates a splinter. If you're going to go and change something, it just splinters off. So I'm just curious about, like, the approach that that you help to inform in terms of the use of time travel on that. Yeah, um, I think that's a really good episode uh, as an example of, like, where my role uh, starts and stops. Because coming up with that idea, that storyline, is brilliant. It's great. Like, it's so good. I'm, I love that episode. Um but, you know, when it comes to explaining the science behind that, if you actually did try to explain the time crystal, the, you know, all of the, the multiple pikes showing up and whatever situation in the timeline that they're in, that starts to take away from the story. So sometimes scientifically, you take a step back and you just let the story play out. Because as soon as you start to explain how the time crystals worked, you're you're losing the emotional beats of the story. That's not the story you're trying <laughs> right. to tell. Yeah, and um, so I love that episode, but it is one of those things where it's like I am reading it through as a science advisor just for minor dialogue things, as opposed to trying to bake in science to it. Right. Where do you where do you come down on time travel in general? In terms of does it create a splinter, or does it uh, yeah. erase what what would have come? I love, I love exploring it. I mean, I don't really have like a hard and fast theory that I necessarily prescribe to, but I do personally love the fact that my job is basically the time variance authority from Loki. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> because like I do have notebooks filled with time travel charts to just track all of those things. Because like you said, you brought up Avengers Endgame. It's really about having that time travel close. That even if you do splinter and create alternate realities that could somehow exist simultaneously, having that all close. Because the big issue with the, it's also referred to, maybe not necessarily time travel related, but quantum multiverse theory, where every time you make a decision, the cat is, it's like when you open the Schrodinger's box cat, it's alive in one universe and it's dead in another one. And it previously existed simultaneously in one. That's a splinter that you've created. But then conservation of energy starts to have a big old problem. (laughs) Conservation of mass. And so we're not really scientifically able to literally create these universes. And that's why I think it's so important when you do create time travel stories that they then at least close at the end. Yes. Yes. I think that's so smart. Um, Before I get to my last question, can you tell us where to find you online? What are some of the things you like to promote and point us to? Yeah, um, I'm most active on Twitter, uh, at Dr. Aaron Mack, D-R-E-R-I-N-M-A-C. And, um, but I also have uh, a newly fledgling little baby TikTok page <laughs> with the same handle. I'm starting to get more content on there, but please feel free to check it out. And then I also, I've taken a hiatus from streaming on Twitch, but I'm going to be back on shortly and um, in a less structured way. But I just, I like playing video games and I miss the community that I had on Twitch. So I'm going to reboot that page again. <laughs> just play the That's games awesome. that I feel like playing. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What are you, what are you looking forward to playing? Like, I mean, right, game play? right now I am still working through completing the Lego Skywalker saga, <laughs> which is pretty nice. great. <laughs> Um, I don't know. By the time I'm settled enough to start streaming it, I might still be playing that. So we'll see. And then um, I started briefly Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, I hadn't touched Assassin's Creed games in a while, but I really like those. And uh, and then I also continue playing Star Trek Online because I've got nice. to. I love Star Trek Online. Of it's so fun. <laughs> it's very good. Um- let me, let me ask you real quick, just the last question is about your creative process. I thought you had a really great way of describing it, so I wanted to, <laughs> I definitely wanted to talk about that real quick. Yeah, this is disgusting, but the way I describe my, uh, my creative process is the stew and puke method. <laughs> Basically just, um, I have an idea for a, a pilot, for example, you know, we, we writers never stop writing. <laughs> and so I have an idea for a pilot and at, from that idea, I don't write the story area. I don't start even writing an outline. Um, I just sit on it for a long time and I just think through it. And this has, even when I've written nonfiction, I have an audible series called The Science of Sci Fi. Um, I'm, I have a book coming out in uh, October 4th uh, called Star Trek, My First Book of Space. <laughs> and <laughs> all of those, uh, creative or not, pilots are not nonfiction. They all just sit in my brain until either a deadline is looming or I just can't sleep until I'm like getting those words on that page. And then it happens super fast. I mean, like I can churn out if I've been thinking about a pilot for a long time, I can write the whole thing in a weekend and have it be at least rep ready, you know, that I can get some other eyes on it and not embarrass myself because I've just thought about the structure and the characters for so long, it comes to me really quickly. 
Yeah, so I've, heard, I've heard. I've heard this from a few people. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love the I love the name for it because it's come up a few times of just like the waiting and thinking about it, and then all of a sudden there's like that big burst. So I, I really, I really loved Stu and Puke, and <laughs> I think that's what we're going to call it on the show from now on. Awesome! Happy to contribute that to the universe. <laughs> Thank you. This is Greg Goldstein, and I'm the applause sign operator here at Weiwo TV. But turning this cute little sign on is only a small part of what I do with the show. I also pay the bills. So if you like what you just heard, and you want to hear more episodes of Weiwo TV, let me share with you how I make the money to pay those bills. Knock, knock. Who's there? Broken pencil. Broken pencil who? Never mind. There's no point. (laughs) Did you know that laughter is a distinctive human characteristic meant to help calm us down? You see, the business of marketing may be ever-changing, but people have been documented trying to make each other laugh since ancient Greece. That's why, at That Funny Agency, we're more than just digital marketing professionals with years of big agency experience. We're also professional comedians, artists, actors, writers, and musicians who have a unique insight into the science of happiness. At our digital marketing agency, we use our innate humor to bring people closer together customer to business, collaborator to client, friend to friend. It's almost like funny is our middle name. Oh wait, it is. So come laugh with us, journey with us, grow with us at thatfunnyagency.com. We're That Funny Agency. Strategic 360 degree digital marketing by unapologetically funny people. That's it for this episode of Weiwo TV. Our announcer, editor, and producer is Jonathan Ingram. Additional editing is provided by Andrew Van Voorhees, and those dulcet tones you hear are those of Rosie Tran, Crixley, Colton Hagen, and Elise Randall Monica. And of course, our show is hosted by Mr. B.J. Mendelson, recording at the George Carlin Podcast Studio. So, folks, stay strong. Stay safe and stay sexy. Thanks for listening. Okay, your 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 middle name is Macho, but uh, I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever has a Macho Man ever cried? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh huh. It's okay for Macho Men to show every emotion available right there, you know. Because I've cried a thousand times, I'm gonna cry some more. But. I've soared with the eagles, and I've slithered with the snakes, and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life, and that there are no guarantees, yeah. And I understand this. (laughs) Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy, so if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up, and fight again. Did you enjoy today's show? If you did, please take a minute and leave us a review. Yes, we know you're busy and every podcast asks you to do this, but there's a good reason they do. Because every time you leave a review, that review helps more people find and listen to the show. And you know what that means for you? More great episodes of Weiwo.tv. So what are you waiting for? Take out your phone and leave us a review right now before you move on to something else and forget about us. And we'll see you next time, right?